Hello, welcome to Expect More of Law, the podcast. I'm Professor Tanya Lehman, Dean of Law at Flinders University, and I'm delighted to be hosting this podcast, celebrating 30 years of law at Flinders University. In this podcast series, I'll be presenting inspirational interviews with current students and graduates who share their experiences about where their law studies have taken them across the spectrum of legal professions and industries. We'll take a deep dive into the current challenges faced by legal practitioners and present industry insights into the future of law. I hope these fearless voices inform and inspire you just as they have me. Hello everyone. I had the pleasure and privilege uh, a few weeks ago of reconnecting with Flinders graduate Rebecca Wilson and I'm really pleased that she's accepted my offer to come in and share a bit of her story. So welcome Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And can you just introduce yourself and tell us about your current role now? Yes, certainly. So Rebecca Wilson, I'm currently the CEO at Scout South Australia. I've been in this role for seven months and this role actually oversees the commercial operations for Scouts. So they are the largest recycler in the state with 11 recycling depots. We we also have retail outlets um, which sell high-end adventure wear and then we have commercial campsites so such as Woodhouse Activity Centre. So at first glance that sounds like it's some way away from the law and I want you to take us back. What caused you to um, choose to study law? Certainly. So I'd always wanted to study law, mm -hmm. um, but I left home at an early age. So I was 14 when I moved out of home. And so that sort of just, uh, it didn't prevent it, but it deferred it a little bit. And then as a, a mature age student, I'd gone through a few different areas. I did finance and worked in a few different areas. And I just wanted to to make sure that I didn't regret not doing it. Mm. So um, I decided to sit the, the stat exam, I think yes, it was at yes. the time. Um, special tertiary admissions test, yes, I think it yes. stands for. And then I actually got in and did a Bachelor of Arts first, um, because in those days you had to do a Bachelor first before mm -hmm. you could do law, um, going back as a mature age student, and then proceeded to be accepted into Flinders Law School to do law. And so um, it worked out perfectly because at the time I was an office manager at a law firm as well. And can I ask what year was that when you started? Can you remember? I can't, I'm just trying to think. It would have been 19 years ago, 20 years ago. So wow. yeah, it was. A, it's a little while ago, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and any memories or highlights or downlights from your time in studying law at Flinders? Look, I think the highlights is definitely the friends that I made with a group of, of mature age students that were here because we all felt like we were a little bit out of our depth to start off with. Um, not having studied for so long and um, those women are still my great friends still practicing in law some of them and others have gone on to do different things as well but using their law skills so that would definitely be the highlight for sure the low light was having to go down to the library and come back up the hill <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes and things have changed in terms of electronic legal resources mm, in, mm. in the time since you were studying here so can you give us a, be a brief career overview of 
what happened what's happened in your career after you've graduated so after I graduated I was quite lucky that the firm that I was the office manager for actually took me on in a position as a lawyer mm -hmm. and so I studied in the area of wealth and succession in the mm -hmm. tax group mm -hmm. and I stayed there for a couple of years um, and I had a young son at the time and then decided to actually transfer my legal skills into company secretary role so sitting um, at a cooperative research Centre as their company secretary. That role then actually took me into producing and publishing a, a book for five years, um, which I did for families in South Australia. And so that taught me and used my legal skills as well and all the skills that I'd learned, but that was marketing and publishing and negotiating with people, drafting, you know, agreements, etc. And then I left that role, uh, left that uh, business, I sold it, and then I was offered a um, position as the risk and governance manager in local government. And so that brought all of my governance and legal skills in together. And so I did that for four years and then was approached to take on the chief risk officer role at the RAA. Oh, okay. um, which then again was using all the governance and compliance and, and legal skills, so risk as well. And then from there um, is now where it brings me to today, which is the, the CEO at Scouts. And, and when did you take up that role? Seven months ago. Oh, excellent. Yes. So I want to just wind back that tape for a moment and ask, for those people who are not watching, but who are not familiar with the term company secretary, can you just explain what that sort of a role involves? Yes, yeah, certainly. So the company secretary really is the role that is um, sitting there in board meetings and ensuring that the board are adhering to whatever the constitution is that they have or memorandum articles and just ensuring that they're um, adhering to their compliance and legal obligations and so just guiding and, and giving not legal advice but just advice in regards to the the running of the meeting etc. And so uh, your legal knowledge um, and understanding the frameworks of how companies and associations work is really critical in that role. It's not just a purely administrative role, it's, it's very much a governance role. Absolutely. And I think you'll find now most company secretaries do have a legal background. So they need to be able to understand how to read law, interpret mm. law and mm. legislation, etc. So it's actually quite a critical role. Um, it's funny because I, I always hear people that aren't aware of a company secretary thinking it's the person that types the minutes, but yes. it's actually probably one of the most senior senior roles um, outside of, of the board with the executive because they must be impartial. So, mm. yeah. So you've also mentioned that you had your own business. Yes. And that as part of uh, running that business that you were involved in negotiating contracts, signing contracts, Correct. Uh, managing all sorts of aspects of that business. How do you think your legal knowledge and skills assisted you in that? Absolutely. Well, I think what it did help me to do is I was engaging with lots of businesses, printers, and so it helped me to be able to negotiate, but also what to look for. Because um, running my own business, I couldn't have afforded a lawyer at the time to mm. have read everything. And so it just gave me those skills and also um, the skills of learning how to read and interpret things differently. And, and the biggest thing I think is um, what when things say must or and yes. that interpretation of is yes. it a must or is it a should so yes. Yes. it was just understanding what I was going to be getting involved in and also then you know what people were asking me to sign and, and what that meant so but those skills I still use every single day. So the skills that you learn 
at law school and in the legal context are completely transferable skills Absolutely. to business, to, to other contexts. Absolutely. And what I would say too, which has been interesting, is when I first entered into local government, the risk and governance role was probably being performed by people that had been in local government. And there was definitely a big switch to bringing on people that had legal backgrounds because it was just so integral to understanding how in those roles, because you sit in every meeting and council meeting and you have to be able to understand mm. um, all the local government acts and how the meetings are performed, etc. So the skills just were unbelievable for me and made the job a lot easier um, just being able to understand and interpret that, especially at meetings quite quickly. Mm. So from where I sit, uh, and I admit that, you know, I'm, I'm not as involved in it as you are, but it seems like there is a real growth in opportunities for people in that risk and governance space and, yeah. and looking at the complexity now of regulatory frameworks of all sorts of industry sectors, and you've mentioned the local government one mm -hmm. now, but now you're in a, in a not-for-profit mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. space as well. So lots of legislation, lots of policies, procedures, lots of intersectional areas Correct. between government, business, mm -hmm. uh, not-for-profit, tax, you know, all of those sorts of areas. Can you just talk to me about how you've engaged in that space and whether that's whether you see that as a growing space. Absolutely. There is a massive shortage of anyone in the risk and compliance area at the moment across the industry. And when we were looking to recruit at my previous role, we were having to start to look overseas. And that was mainly based on the fact that the Royal Commission into Financial Misconduct and Finance um, took so many people out of the industry and into the banks uh, because they had a lot of catching up and mm. work to do to make mm. sure that their compliance mm. and their governance was in in place because they got a bit of a a bit of a hiding um, and so that's seen uh, it's seen a couple of things one was the need for um, ensuring that you had those people in place that could provide that. It gave them visibility in the business, whereas previously there wasn't that level of respect and visibility. And also it's now made it aware that probably like WH was, WHS was 30 years ago, it's an integral part that every business has to have, someone that understands risk and compliance. Risk in regards to if you're developing a strategy for the business, you have to understand your risks. Um, you'll find also too, lots of insurers now will want to see your risk mm. framework. They mm. want to understand your risks. They want to understand how you're adhering to your compliance. So it's, yeah, it, it's quite a... It's quite a difference to, to practising in a law firm, but it's still the same skills and still having to undertake, but it's something different every single day. So... As lawyers, we often have an adverse approach to risk. <laughs> so we identify all the possible things that can go wrong and then draft contracts or agreements to ensure that nothing ever goes wrong. Mm -hmm. But of course, inevitably things do. And mm -hmm. so lawyers have to become involved at that stage. Mm -hmm. Thinking of studying more? Expect more. More focus on your future. More support. More skills and more professional placements. Expect more of law. Apply to Flinders today. Increasingly, when I talk to people in industry, they're talking about moving from a risk-averse mindset to a risk management mm -hmm. mindset and understanding how to navigate through constantly changing risk uh, in what is increasingly an uncertain world. Do you have any comments to make about that? Look, I think um, 
having a risk adverse mindset's not a negative thing, except that it helps you to think of what are all the things that could go wrong, which then helps set people to make informed decisions. Mm. So, you know, very early on, I learned that whatever my advice or, or recommendations were, if they weren't taken on, it wasn't personal because I might not have had the bigger picture, but I could at least come in and go, the worst thing that could possibly happen is this, but now what are the opportunities? And so where do you go in between that to make that business decision? So um, the skill the, the skill set that, and everyone always says, oh, Beck always plays devil's advocate. And mm -hmm. I do, because mm -hmm. I have to think of the worst case scenario. And legal gave me that, because yes. I read a lot of yes. cases where- yes. Worst case scenario happened. That's correct. And mm. I think for me, it was a matter of realizing that everything's fine until something goes wrong. And then that's when you go, well, in hindsight, what would I have done? And so coming in with the, a legal mindset, you're going, well, I'm already thinking of the hindsight. I'm already thinking of everything that can go wrong and presenting that. So I think it's a really good skill set to be able to bring, and set of understanding to bring into those sorts of roles. So your career journey really is an example of how uh, you can take your legal skills and branch into a whole different range of opportunities. Are you seeing sort of emerging opportunities on the horizon now within your organisation or others where um, people with legal skill sets can really be useful? Absolutely. As I said, I think before in regards to compliance, there's so much compliance now that's coming out. There's so many changes. And just take a, a, a pandemic that we've just had for the last few mm. years. There's mm. never been more requirement um, to look at and be looking at policies and procedures and frameworks and having them in place and business continuity plans. And that's all risk and, and compliance that sits within all those teams. So it was interesting because, yes, I must admit, when I used to walk down the corridors in RAA, there was a few people that used to duck and hide and think, oh, no, here comes risk and compliance. But mm. it was changing the attitude to go, this is, this is use risk to help you to get what you need delivered. If, if there's a high risk for something, then the board are going to be looking at it. What's the high risk and how can we then manage that? And there will be funding put towards it. So I always think of cyber as the perfect example. Mm. Don't look at risk as a negative. Look at it as how you can use it to get what you need to, to get attention to it. And, and that's what the board will be looking at. And of course, the whole issue of, of cyber risk and cyber security is just exponentially growing, Correct. isn't it? And you won't stop it. So mm. it's quite easy to go, is there a risk that will happen? I, I don't think it's a risk. I think it's a certainty. It's then around, well, how do we put things in place to prevent it being worse than what it could be? So again, coming in, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm. And then, so what are all the controls that we can be putting in place to, to lessen the impact when it does happen? Mm. So thinking back over your career, which has been varied, mm -hmm. interesting things that were really interesting or exciting that uh, that stand out for you as highlights. Look, it was a tough decision after completing law and then working in a law firm to then make a decision that I wasn't going to work in a law firm. Mm. And I think that was probably one of the toughest decisions to make at the time because there was a lot of peer group pressure from family going, you've spent all this time and, yep. and now you're not going to do it. But I think the career highlights being that every job I go to, I've taken those skill sets with me and just being able to utilise that and show 
show other people that are, are, I had at my job at RAA, most of the team were lawyers or auditors. And the fact that I could get excitement out of seeing them to go, actually, this is pretty cool. This is, this is actually a really good job to do and still use the skills. So that's definitely been my highlight of, of watching and developing other um, junior lawyers come through. Mm. And the most challenging thing, you've already said it was very challenging to choose to leave the law firm, but uh, for you as an individual in, in your workspace, things that have been particularly challenging in how you've responded. Look, I think the most challenging thing is definitely getting that recognition of how important the role of risk and compliance and governance is, and that you're not a blocker, you're an enabler. So there'll be lots of times where you'll go, look, my um, advice is, or I think you should do this, and it will get knocked back. And that can be frustrating, especially when it does go the way you thought, and then you've got to fix it all up in the end. <laughs> um, but you just can't take it personally, because as I yeah. said, there's a lot of other things that are happening on the peripheral that you may not be aware of, and, mm. and that's one part of it. But just be proud that you've given that, and then they've done that with an informed decision. So if it does go wrong, at least they can go, well, we were aware of the risk, um, but we chose to do X or the opportunity. I think one of the biggest things at the moment is opportunity management as well. You know, I used to always say, okay, well, let's do this and now manage the risks instead of going, well, what are the risks? Let's not do it. So just reversing that around. Mm. So as I'm listening to you, it occurs to me that you're going to be uh, having to communicate about some pretty interesting and tough things from time to time to a broad range of stakeholders within your organisation and without uh, your organisation. And it also occurs to me that really at their essence, lawyers can be described as problem solvers. Mm -hmm. So what, what tips and tricks would you have for our students or for anyone else watching this video today about the importance of communication and the skills that you've learnt as a legal professional in terms of how you might communicate to those above you, to those at your level and to others in an organisation? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, it's definitely around just speaking to the facts and trying not to put your own personal view or point into it unless that's asked for. And I think that's critical when you're communicating either to board members or to executives, peers, or um, other people within an organisation. Just keep it to the facts and then it's, it's a lot easier for people to understand and take on what it is that you're trying to convince them of. I think Lots of people think they are okay with change, but I don't think anyone's okay with change. And so you've got to help them on that journey as well. And using your skills you learn in law school to influence and persuade. I think it's if you step back, you're, you're doing it all day, every day, in any role that you're doing, it's, and so it's how you do it. Not to, not to be um, aggressive or defensive and understand that you're on a, different, on a different journey to what they are because you've got different skills that they're not aware mm. of. They may mm. not think the same way. I think mm. law teaches you definitely to be thinking out of the box all the time and gives you lots of strategic skills. And so a lot of people that you might be dealing with don't have that. And so it's, how can I help you to achieve what you need to achieve? I'm interested there to hear you talk about 
uh, focusing on the facts because of that's that's of course one of the <laughs> one of the most basic skills that law students are introduced to in terms of thinking about a structure for solving problems and identifying which really are the facts and assessing the evidence Correct. and and all of those things yeah and you may not be able to solve the problem so a lot of the time you might just be putting recommendations forward um, but you've gone and gotten all the information and researched and then you're letting the board or you're letting the other people solve mm. the problem but you're supplying them with all that information so, so being a trusted advisor absolutely absolutely mm. So you've moved now into quite senior positions. Mm -hmm. As a CEO, you're in a senior position in an organisation. Do you have any insights on what that's been like for you as someone with legal training, as a woman, mm -hmm. and someone who came to the workforce through what we might call a non-traditional route? Correct. Look, I think it's interesting. As a, as a woman, I've been fortunate to work with men in senior positions that have been very, very supportive. Mm -hmm. And that's mainly because they've had good partners and, and daughters. And so I've never personally experienced that barrier. I've seen it lots of times in banking and law firms, etc. Mm -hmm. I've never personally experienced it. And so I've, I think it's because though I've taken the position that it's not a barrier. And so I've just gone and done whatever. Mm -hmm. I've never gone, oh, I won't apply for this because I'm a woman. But I've also made sure that I've surrounded myself with lots of good women as well, that when I am starting to doubt or when I am starting to think I'm not capable, they're there going, come on back or, you know, and supporting. So I think that's critical. And especially in the legal fraternity. I, I think it's, it's so exciting to see so many females coming through. Um, and you just need to support each other because I think you still will come up against it. Um, in regards to your other question and um, the role that I've got at the moment is that bigger picture and understanding in relation to, again, what are the things that could go wrong and what are my obligations that I'm responsible for and what then do I need to address first, especially coming in to an organisation that's 117 years old. Mm. Um, because I'm not going to be able to fix everything, but what are the biggest things I've got to fix and, and have seen through my career that can go wrong. And so that is things like making sure we've got a correct strategy, we've got policies and procedures, et cetera. And just getting the right skill sets employed as well. And that's why I think even with law, that, that change now into risk and compliance and governance for people, I, I can see it as like it used to be with banking. It's a job for life at the moment. That compliance isn't slowing down, <laughs> risk isn't slowing down. Mm. So um, I think there's some really exciting opportunities out there to still use your skill set, still be a lawyer, um, but not the traditional law firm. And so what, I, what I'm actually hearing in the first part of your answer to my question there is whether you're uh, male or female or non-binary or whoever you are, the importance of having strong mentoring Correct. Uh, along your career journey and really seeking that out from others around you and uh, building those support networks. Correct. And have you got any tips about how you might do that? I was going to say, look, I think that don't ever be afraid to ask anyone that you see um, to be your mentor. If they haven't got time, they'll tell you, but most times you'll find they would be more than happy to be your mentor. That relationship though is you wanting to be yes, mentored yes, and seeking yes, that out. Yes. Um, but definitely male or female have male and female mentors because you need to 
to get the two different perspectives on certain things. Um, there is still a uh, there is still a little bit of um, boards out there that are mainly male, and so you you need to understand as a female, and then as a male, when you've got female directors, you need to understand what that looks like as well. And that's not just on boards, but also if you're going for for roles and um, CEO roles and things like that as well, mm. just to understand the different thinking. Mm. So what's next on the horizon for you? Well, at the moment, there's lots of things. So we're actually looking at doing as part of this role, we'll review constitutions, we'll start to review and look at legal structures of the, you know, the businesses and the not-for-profit and, and have it all set up. But from day one also, I've always been looking for my successor. Mm. So this role will go for five years. And I think my personal opinion is a CEO should never probably stay longer in a role than five years because you've done what you needed to do mm -hmm. and then you, you take that and go and move into somewhere else and so it'll just be delivering on I've got a we've worked as a team to do a five-year strategy and it'll be delivering that strategy to make sure that um, scouting in South Australia can remain financially sustainable um, to ensure that the youth can excel in life and so that's by keeping those commercial operations viable and you'll be using every bit of your legal skill set to do that. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So just as we conclude I'm going to take you right back to the beginning of the journey and ask you if you were going to give uh, some advice to a person just like you who was coming to start law as what we might call a mature age student mm -hmm. and really a mature age student can be anyone who hasn't come straight from school correct correct at any age across mm -hmm. the range and and it's it's fabulous that here at Flinders we do have a, a really diverse student population mm -hmm. with a wide range of ages what tips would you give Rebecca who was just starting her law degree now. Go to every lecture, go to every shoot, take everything in and just learn as much as you can. Because even though sometimes I remember when I was at high school thinking I'd never use algebra, there was some of those times when I was reading cases about snails in ginger beer bottles <laughs> and I thought, when is this ever going to come in? But it's not necessarily what you're reading, but it's the skills that you're learning around it. And I'd say mm. just absorb it all and take it all in and stick at it. Because it'll be worth it, even if you don't in the end want to go and practice law, those skill sets are so transferable into so many different roles. Excellent. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much. Thank I you. really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure it's going to be really valuable for all of those who are watching it. Thank Thanks you. very much, Rebecca. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Expect More of Law, the podcast. If you've been inspired, influenced, informed or entertained, please subscribe to the podcast series. To find out about Flinders University's 30 Years of Law celebrations and our upcoming Law Gala dinner on 3rd December, visit flinders.edu.au slash 30 years of law.